Alan, I, we live in a world, I live in a world, you uh, analyze a world of <laughs> digital infrastructure, among other things, digital infrastructure for sure. Um, and correct that statement if I'm, if I, I don't mean to, to make it smaller than it is. But one of the things that we're going to talk about today, or the primary thing we're going to talk about today, is small modular reactors. And honestly, if two years ago somebody had said, hey, this would be a regular conversation for you, this would be the type of conversation you have, I would have said, what? No, I don't, I don't think so. But it, it certainly not doesn't have the spotlight that ChatGPT or some of these other um, uh, conversation have at the forefront, but it feels like it's some part of the conversation, either energy constraint conversation or sustainability conversation or um, you know, somewhere in there. And there, there are a number of yeah. other places. How, how can we do a transmission conversations? And so um, I have uh, come across your work and other topics before, a lot in sustainability and other stuff. But I know you've been doing some conversation e either through your own personal research or conversations with other people that have experience in this. So if you could just help us to understand for our audience in your mind, when we say small modular reactor, for now on, we'll just call them SMRs, and SMR, what do you think about? Like, how would you describe that to somebody who's not familiar with that term? Well, you know, I think the, um, I, I, I think the easiest way to get anybody to understand it um, is to just talk about the Navy, <clears throat> nuclear okay. submarines, nuclear air, aircraft carriers. And, you know, for the sake of the audience, let me give a little backstory here, and that is that I mean, my world has been studying data centers for uh, a long time. I don't like to admit how long I've been in this industry <laughs> in a I'm public forum. But um, so, so I mean, we've been talking about power-constrained markets for a long time, right? Right. And um, and and that was really kind of the extent of 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 my my knowledge about you know what is actually a very complex subject in terms of power transmission and generation and all that kind of stuff. So I was at Data Cloud in Austin um, in 20, yeah, I guess October of 2022, somewhere around there. Mm -hmm. uh, and there was a panel on power constrained markets and the subject of SMRs came up and, you know, the panel was kind of poo-pooing the whole thing. Like, you know, we're not going to see anything material for, for 10 years. And so just, you know, full disclosure, I never even heard of an SMR, but sure. it's the kind of thing that I just was like, well, I'm so curious about this. They're so negative about it. Mm -hmm. And I learned just a little teeny bit, you know, in, in the, the, the panel I was listening to. But that compelled me to go off and start looking into it. Mm -hmm. um, and it was just the whole subject to me is, is just super fascinating. Uh, and, and so, again, you know, in terms of SMRs, you know, for the, the, the layperson that may not be very familiar with this subject, it's an easy rabbit hole to fall down. Sure. Um, but... But you know the 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 United States Navy has been running nuclear reactors in in ships for, oh gosh, it's like since the 1950s or right. uh, or, or or something like that, mm -hmm. with you know nary a mishap, right? And so our public perception of of nuclear is based on you know the big news items, which the media just loves, you know Chernobyl, right. Fukushima, uh, 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 things like that, but. Um, Tony Grayson from Compass, who you and I have talked about, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, would be the first one to point out that, you know, there's all kinds of people that live, you know, within spitting distance of nuclear reactors uh, in the bays where the naval bases are. 
you know, mm-hmm. and, and and whatnot. So that's I think that's the easiest way to sort of understand it. And you know, when you start digging into it more, um, what, what we don't get exposed to is the amount of research uh, and the amount of product development that's going on to create small module modular reactors uh, that are going to be appropriate for any land-based uh, application. And so when you start looking at some, what some of these companies are doing um, and their designs and the footprint uh, and the technical characteristics, uh, it's just fascinating. I mean, how small they are, how safe they are, right. um, uh, and, and those kind of things. But again, you know, just for the layperson that's not familiar with it at all, it's what makes, you know, a nuclear submarine run for 10 years. Right. Well, we'll talk a little bit about maybe towards the end about some of the misconceptions. We always got to talk about safety whenever I have a conversation about nuclear oh, yeah. power. Um, we'll talk about that. But if we, if we, if I'm talking to somebody um, recently, I went to, I got invited by Georgia Power to go out and tour the new, um, the new deployment of the two nuclear reactors at the uh, Vogel really? plant. Uh, yeah, it was. Man, it was, I'm jealous. It was phenomenal. And I'll bet as you because I'd never been to a plant like that. I've seen in the distance cooling towers at other places. I've certainly seen them in the news and in media and whatever, but I'd never actually been to the plant. So I didn't know what to expect. As I pull up to, I mean, you see the towers and the steam plume, you know, forever away. And as you come up to the facility, one of the first things that I I was, I sort of perceived as the size. And I, I'm not talking about the facility proper yet. I mean the property. Mm. When you come up into this property, you drive for a while. When you come on to the land, you come through the security apparatus on the outskirts and you start driving. And there's, a, there's nothing nearby. Now, I don't know how much of the land they control on the outside of the fence, but I know how much was inside of the fence. And it's just as far as you can see, surrounded by um, fencing and I'm sure a wide variety of other uh, monitoring measures that I have, I couldn't see. Uh, That's probably the point. But anyway, and then you travel a distance. um, And I kind of, in my weird way, I'm like, man, it's kind of like Jurassic Park. Like it's something weird going to (laughs) happen to me, you know? And so you travel and travel, travel. And it's almost, and then you see this giant, you know, the giant cooling towers. And they're, as I said, they're giving off their steam. And then at this particular place, you go to um, basically like a little office building, not not small, not like a trailer, like it's a it's an office building for staff. But they also have a training, and so you, I got to go in with another small group, and they walk sort of through the history of the site, a very simple overview of how nuclear a nuclear power site works, what you're seeing out there, what do these infrastructures do, and all the big things that you see are really pretty anticlimactic. They're not where the reactions are happening. The reactions are happening in these um, reactors that are down in the ground and off. And But again, the main thing that I thought of was the size, the size of the property, the size of these towers, the, um, the people. You can't see them, but they have these concrete and steel pillboxes around the reactors. I'm sure if it were nighttime, I'd see red dots, you know, a fly, <laughs> like, like it's no joke. But it is a 
spectacular scale. And when you talk about uh, these two in particular reactors are, I think they're a thousand megawatts each. I think they're gigawatts each, if I remember that correctly, or maybe a little bit more, something like that. Yeah. Um, so it's a lot of power. And that's the two new ones. They already have two in place. And as we learn the history, the cost, I, I know at least one company went bankrupt <laughs> developing this site. So tremendous size, tremendous cost, um, tremendous amount of power. I mean, thousands of, you know, of megawatts of power coming out of this facility, nothing really nearby, maybe some uh, worker villages of people working nearby. And when we talk about a reactor within a naval vessel, it's tiny. And yeah. the overwhelming majority of the people on that vessel have nothing to do with the nuclear reactor. They are the Marines that are, you know, do one thing or the cooks or the whatever. And so when I began learning about SMRs, the scale of the, um, the difference between what's deployed on the one hand versus the other was, was um, it was spectacular. It's, it's almost impossible to describe. You know what's funny? Um, I think there's sort of a, a very interesting correlation between, <clears throat> you know, how the SMR industry has been evolving, right? But at the same time, uh, how modular data center market has been evolving, right? Mm -hmm. In fact, it's a little bit shocking when you think about the various kinds of data center modularity, you know, whether it's skidded infrastructure or uh, completely self-contained uh, modular, um, you know, I think that the industry has over and over again, you know, proven, particularly with the scale builders like, you know, QTS. Mm -hmm. I mean, I would imagine that it's hard to build a scale campus without incorporating um, modularity, right? Yes, whether, again, whether it's skidded infrastructure or whatever the case may be. So the, the one thing about nuclear power plants uh, and, and SMRs in particular that I think a lot of people aren't really familiar with is the whole notion of essentially, you know, factory built, um, right. repeatable processes, uh, testing, you know, in the factory. And so now we have, um, you know, factory built modular reactor components that get shipped to the site and just installed, as opposed right. to you know, a gigawatt scale nuclear power plant, which is what we're all used to. Right. Uh, which takes years to develop and like crazy uh, amounts of money. So one of the things I think about SMRs that um, is is compelling is that whole notion of, of creating a, a, a modular um, product and manufacturing process that, um, you know, limits the craziness of construction of a hyperscale infrastructure project like that. So, and again, it's like the, um, on the data center modularity side, it's just, it's, I mean, modularity and data centers has been around for a long time. Yeah. But yet not really embraced. Traditional <clears throat> construction uh, approaches have been, you know, pretty much the norm until you know, a few years ago, things started picking up. And of course, the pandemic uh, really illustrated how important um, modular components in a data center are, right? Yeah. So, you know, when we got to uh, different phases of construction for a data center, it's way easier to have pre-commissioned equipment dropped into place 
I mean, the on-site construction requirements um, are so much less when you're using modular uh, components. So, you know, SMRs are going to be the same thing. Um, right. Well, it, it and to your point, there's scale. There's also speed. So mm -hmm. I need to I need to move at a certain speed. I have to be accurate. One of the things that I noticed when I was out at Vogel is like there's no way to pick that up and drop it even a hundred miles up the road. Like the <laughs> things unique to the Savannah River, the things that are unique to the valley, the things that are unique to the prevailing winds there, the things that are unique to the topology of the forest and whatever may be completely different um, 80 miles or 200 miles south when I get closer to Florida or if I go west over towards Alabama. There's so much different that there's certainly lessons learned. Like there's a standard. They're not just scratching their head each time they show up, but it's like a custom built home that you have a drawing, but that as you get out on the property that you need artisans there to adjust and whatever, as opposed to um, the modularity that we're talking about, which is not only do I have it coming out of the plant. So if I'm doing an electrical room at a, at a big mega data center and I can, when I go to deploy this, cause it fits in a standard design, we have a standard design here. We have adaptability. We did, we, um, we build, I, without spending too much time on it to belabor it, but we try to standardize as small as we can if you think about a Lego. And that way, when I assemble my Legos, oh, you need a, you need a dinosaur, well, I'll assemble them this way. If you need a race car, I'll assemble them this way. So it looks like it's wildly custom. It's actually because I standardized on a certain number of Legos, I can snap and resnap them. And every now and then I might have to, if you ever see professional Lego builders, shave or adjust something. But it's minuscule. I'm not pouring new molds and doing a new thing each and every time. And so one of the things that modularity does is not only can I do it at scale and speed, but as we find an efficiency gain or a failure or whatever it is, I can tell the people with the digital twin back at the factory and they can adjust in real time the factory and so now I can keep my speed, keep my scale, keep my QA, and I can adjust these nuances as we, you know, nothing, as Mike Tyson says, nothing, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. So as these things get, as these things get deployed, as opposed to, I don't, I lose a lot of opportunity to leverage lessons learned from these big massive sites. And I'm not anti big massive nuclear sites at all. I just mean that the advantage I think in SMR when we're dealing with I need speed. I need modular power that can scale. You know, who wants to invest um, in uh, 1,500 megawatts, which just seems ridiculous to say, but 500 megawatts of capital of deploying if I'm not going to need it for 10 years? Like, that's not being a good steward of capital or the environment or my site or whatever. Yeah. And then in addition to that, my scale, you know, these things are 15 acres, 20 acres, 10 acres. I mean, depending upon the size of your solution. And they're like that Lego, they snap in. And I'm not, you know, when I first started learning about this stuff, and I know we're oversimplifying, I was like, that's not true. That can't be true. It's pretty true. You just snap them in. Again, we're talking about nuclear power. So take that into consideration, but you snap them in and the, and the, the footprint, much less the other things we'll talk about relating to regulation and whatever, it, it's so um, 
it's so interesting and that I can then logically expand that over time, either with resiliency or capability or whatever it is that I want. And as I'm adjusting that design, that's not only snapping in in my a Georgia location, I can inform the factory so that when they go to deploy the same thing in New Mexico or Connecticut or wherever else they go, they can, they can in real time adjust the factory so that the components that we're shipping have this evolution of improvement. That, that, that's been my sort of my experience so far. Yeah. Well, okay, so that's a really interesting point you brought up about, you know, the um, essentially adding incremental uh, capacity. And, and, and let's not, you know, I, these conversations, you know, we talk about with regard to the data center market, which makes complete sense mm -hmm. because, you know, big consumers of, of power, uh, that's just increasing. Um, but the, the reality, of course, is, is that there's all kinds of industry that is running into the same thing that data centers are. Maybe not with the frequency, frequency that we do because, you know, we're deploying new data centers uh, constantly. So if I'm going to build a steel plant uh, or an aluminum plant or something like that, it requires mm -hmm. a tremendous amount of power. Right. And, and that's, you know, rare to come by. So, you know, nuclear technology, SMRs. Uh, it's an industry uh, application. What's interesting about, I'm kind of going off on a tangent here, That's but okay. what's, what's kind of interesting about it is that, um, you know, the, the the technical side of the nuclear industry, what's going on within these uh, individual, usually private equity backed uh, companies, you know, like Oklo, for example, mm -hmm. um, and, you know, most of their focus is on the research, development, design, um, how are we going to do it? Uh, mm -hmm. And then they're working very closely with the national labs, right? Particularly with uh, Idaho National Lab. Mm -hmm. and you had uh, Christine King on. I did. Great uh, conversation. Yeah. It was, I watched the whole thing word for word. It was really, <laughs> it was really, really good. But the point of where I'm going with this is, is, is that, um, you know, in our initial conversations with uh, some folks at um, Idaho National Labs, it was like, you know, part of what's going on uh, at the national lab level. And one of the things that's, you know, the national labs are doing, particularly INL, uh, is promoting the, the notion, the adoption, you know, the future of uh, SMRs. And because data centers play such a critical role, that's, you know, the conversation we've been seeing it more from all kinds of, uh, of, of different people. But going back to what your point was a minute ago about, you know, incremental expansion. So, you know, if an SMR is say, you know, 30 megawatts, just like the Legos, right. you know, you can build onto them. So let's say, for example, I develop a, 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 a an, an, you know, let's say I have a, a, a closed coal plant, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so I think one of the things that's going on in the industry is that these are ideal sites, you know, transmission connections already there. And, right. um, um, but if you're going to, and, and let's say, this site, you know, we're going to start with, say, 100 megawatts. So that would be, say, three SMRs or two, depending on the design and whatnot. Right. And so whether I'm going to have uh, enough room for 10 data centers and, you know, maybe 10 other industrial applications that are power hungry uh, applications, they're going to grow the way a data center campus would grow. A data center campus, even if you're, you're Google or or uh, Amazon building something out in the middle of Nebraska or Iowa, right? Mm -hmm. You don't have 10 data centers tomorrow, right. right? You build your first three, depending on what the purpose of the data centers are. 
uh, and then you're plunking them in as as you go along. There's just right. no end to the evidence for that. And so my point is is that you know knowing ahead of time that we have a potential, uh, and and just using quantum loophole, um, Josh Snowhorn's yeah, campus Snowhorn, in, yeah. in yeah. yeah, as an example, right? I mean, it's it's before the time of of SMRs and and there being uh, scale deployments of that, right? We're still, we're not quite there yet. Um, But the point is, is that, you know, that's a project that's gonna take time. Um, As more customers come in, we'll be adding, you know, data centers uh, here and there, but that's a perfect application. So planning ahead of time, which big campuses like that have to do uh, is like, okay, so I'm gonna talk to this SMR provider or maybe more than one and, you know, we'll, we're planning. We think we're right. going to need two gigawatts uh, of power over time. Right. And so obviously, you know, all that stuff is like any other construction infrastructure project. Right. But yeah, the modularity and the ability to phase in um, power capacity is, you know, how the industry has worked for a long time. And so that's the big, you know, the big advantage to SMRs as opposed to spending 10 years and, you know, being a trillion dollars over budget for a gigascale uh, power plant. Right. Well, one I of think the I said that, it all. <laughs> yeah, you said a lot. That was great. One <laughs> of the things that I like when we're talking about size, to me, I also hear the complexity of getting the, you know, the electron from the big, a big giant plant out to some distant location requires right of way, transmission, all these other things, which is not, um, uh, easy to do. It's complex, whether it's for fiber or energy or, or a number of these other things. And there are a lot of things that are competing for that. Now I'm crossing usually certainly uh, um, villages, if not cities and towns, counties, most likely. And so there's a lot of maybe even in some cases, state lines. So there's a lot of complexity there where something that is sits on a 15 acre ish, 10 acre um, deployment when, when, when we plan um, the industry, I'm talking about the large data center in the U.S., uh, Europe is attracted, I think, and maybe we'll get to that later, to SMRs for different reasons, but no less compelling. But when I come in and I have a, uh, a campus that I'm looking at that is anywhere from four or 500 megawatts up to 1,000 plus, and I still chuckle every time I say that. You know, I've been in this business for a long time and one of the original employees here at QTS, but before that I was at UT um, in the IT group. And, and, and we th- I throw words around about the scale and scope of power and the size of data centers and the amount of infrastructure we're hosting that were ludicrous ten, five years ago, much less 10 years ago. So I, I know with people that are around our industry kind of, you know, either either they have no reaction to it because they don't know what we're talking about in scale, so it doesn't mean anything to them, or we just sort of, we're so used to talking about these things. But anyway, this scale, to be able to drop something in quickly, to, to get the ability to design and deploy something that is a minuscule relative to this big uh, plant that I talked about, Turing, how many counties or how many organizations have to be involved in the approval process, much less the state and federal level? How, how what happens if there's an emergency? How do we handle that? What are all of the agencies for how far? And what if it, instead of 
you know, wind's going that way. They change and they go that way. Like, there's a lot, and there should be. Like, it's, you know, we're not messing around with this stuff. There should be um, a lot of planning, a lot of energy. Data centers have been for a while now. How do we design a substation? Do I have to deploy all 200 megawatts in the beginning, or can I install transformers in such a way that I can scale and grow? And, like, we're, we're used to doing that. One of the things that we've been staring down the barrel of as these campuses get really quick is uh, big is not just how do we generate power? Like we'll go find, we're finding that and we're working with utilities, we're getting much better at that, but how do I get it to us? And I think one of the yeah. advantages of these small campuses by dropping it in is whether it's on my property or on an adjacent property or just a mile up the road, um, however that looks like, it's not the same scale of, of distance and complexity to connect. And the other bad benefit we see is they can also deploy into the community. And I want to talk about more about community towards the end when we get to misconception and that kind of stuff. But it just seems like it's so much easier to snap this Lego or two. And I don't mean to diminish the complexity of doing that, but relative to the large thing, snap it in in every way, not just its incremental power growth, but the transmission, the regulation, the safety and planning around it seems to be um, almost too good. I mean, it's almost like a godsend. Like, why? So many, many people, and I think it's a fair thing, have have for now um, said for a while. Well, why haven't we done this sooner? And really, it's just because of the designs that have come out in the last maybe five or eight years that have really lent themselves to not just as much power, but to being so spectacularly safe as they are. Have um, So I don't want to look back too much and say, we should have done this. Maybe we should have, but we're in it now. Should have, would have, could have. Yeah. You know, so, uh, so, so I think one of the things that um, – one of the things you and I talked about was um, – What's interesting about the nuclear industry is that, you know, we've we've got a long history of building gigascale nuclear power plants. Right. And so yeah. what, what's been being addressed over the you know last decade, say, uh, is taking, um, you know, what is big infrastructure and then bringing it down, scaling it down uh, to be much more adaptable to various different environments. Right. And, right. and you and I were talking about how hydrogen is the opposite. Hydrogen has always been very small scale. Uh, kind of applications, and so the hydrogen industry is is challenged with how do I scale this up? You know, right. so it's completely completely different kinds of of uh, issues. But you know that the on the one hand we talk about public perception. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, when we start talking about um, stakeholders um, in in how economic development works in general, right? So this mm -hmm. is everything from governors to mayors economic development people, utility companies and their economic development groups and so on and so forth, you know, as more and more people start understanding the differentiation between SMRs and scale, you know, gigawatt scale power plants, now you have more people supporting it. So mm -hmm. think about Virginia in particular, the governor of Virginia is like, you know what, we need to be on board with this. We, you know, and, and so that kind of support is 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 growing over time as those kinds of stakeholders i mean you got the 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 nuclear technology companies terrapower oklo and a dozen others including westinghouse and general electric and companies right. like that um you know they're all on board because 
they're doing the technology. All the national lab engineering and scientist people are all on board because, you know, that's right. what they do. They all understand it. Right. But it's now that we're getting more uh, politicians and then you get, I don't know, I, I don't have any names off the top of my head, but it'd be people like, oh, say Sean Penn or Bill Gates or whatever, you know, right. that, that those kinds of people, you know, also buying into the notion that, um, you, you know, this is green energy. Right. And the, the safety characteristics are not what you see, are not the same as, you know, what we've experienced with Fukushima and, right. and well, what, Chernobyl and things like that. What I admire, and I think you're making an excellent point, Alan, is if I've, like, there are certain things that you and I have made up about big ideas in our life. Like, we've, 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 we've visited them enough. They're personal <laughs> to us. We have been in... Um, we evaluated them when we were, you know, we were told by our parents to, to think a certain way about certain things. And then when you go to school or you go into the workplace or some combination, you go in the military and you, your ideas butt into other ideas. And you, and over time, you, there's, there's an opportunity for hopefully a lot of adjustment over time. But after a while, um, at least in my case, I've sort of solidified. There are a few things that I, I, I have a grip on, but I don't have a death grip on. But there are a couple things that I've like, look, I've made up my mind about this particular idea for me, against me, for my flourishing, not for my flourishing. I don't need to revisit the study on it or whatever, but it's not human nature normally, I think in our reptile brain, to revisit things that are really near and dear to our heart. And when one of the things that's interesting about this nuclear in general, not necessarily SMRs, is I admire so many people that have said for the longest time, um, we are for a particular outcome as it relates to the client, uh, climate or to sovereignty, energy sovereignty, or whatever it may be. And we believe the path to that is, and we, we choose technologies that seem in their, um, almost say the 5G phase. 5G, we were promised mm -hmm. the capability of 5G when we have the ability to deliver 4G plus. And I'm not knocking the 5G, you gotta sell the dream before the engineering's a reality. And yeah. so we sell the dream of intermittent energy because there's a lot of potential there. Like why wouldn't we wanna harness the things that are available to us? But as we look at, for, for a variety of reasons, the very real, the necessity for energy sooner than we thought, whether it's because of climate or because we have an aging fleet of infrastructure and we have a, a demand growing exponentially, whatever, whatever, you know, political uh, change around the world um, that, ha that gets tied up in energy. If I've got to get energy from maybe a, a, a source that may be hostile later, or I've got to spend a lot of energy to go continents away to get it, to bring it back. Like for all of these reasons, I admire the people that have said, look, the outcome that I'm looking for is sovereignty or no carbon emission or fill in the blank, whatever it is, affordability. I want, I need something at a price point that every citizen in my community can afford so I can afford other social programs that are so important to me. And I don't think what they said right off the bat was, oh, let's embrace this. What they said was, well, we can't evaluate that because it's got all of these fill in the blank bad things, but they opened their mind to allow experts to show up and say, well, can we maybe talk about those misconceptions? What we would characterize as misconceptions. 
And they began having really great transparent conversations about safety or you know, a number of other things, impact to the community. And as they began walking through them in an honest way, which is not to say they had every answer for everything or every answer was uh, agreeable, but as time went on and designs um, evolved and data came in from the, the systems that we're trying to employ around the world, what we began to see is, look, there are places where these applications of energy creation and distribution work better. And there are other places where this works better, so long as ultimately we're moving towards the goal of these things that I said around sustainability and sovereignty and uh, financial affordability. And that's hard to do, to, to allow your mind the opportunity to adjust and engage in this stuff. And I admire people, whether they're engineers or politicians, just this morning, um, uh, Adam Levine was on a conversation that I recorded, um, uh, depending upon if this converse, his conversation is, I'm teasing Adam, it's an interesting conversation. But anyway, we were talking about how many people in Europe that have always been a no nuke ever are now saying, hold on, we need to rethink this. And what they're seeing, um, how they're being deployed or at least being revisited in certain nations because they're trying to affect uh, a particular outcome that they can't get quick enough with other sources. So, I mean, so much there. And I like the checklist, you, you know, whether it's sovereignty or cost or whatever, it's all the above in, right. in most cases, right? Um, and, so, and so there's just a couple of things. So, uh, you know, most of the SMRs that you know, have been approved for installation are like on national lab land. Mm -hmm. Somebody just got one approved for uh, an Air Force base. You know, these are unique uh, government controlled facilities and that's not gonna be uh, the bigger challenge. And I do think that uh, one of the interesting stories is is that, and I, I don't claim to have all the details to this, but so TerraPower um, is one of the SMR builders and they, oh, I think they were, they they, they wanted to put uh, a, a demonstration reactor in in Wyoming. I think it was a demonstration reactor. Mm -hmm. Now we're getting in whoosh, right. areas that are over my head. There's sure. different kinds of uh, uh, reactors. But the thing was is that so the TerraPower people went to the community, and it wasn't necessarily big communities or whatever, mm -hmm. and said, you know, here's what we'd like to do here let's all get together and talk about this. So it was a community outreach thing. And in the data center industry, we are very familiar uh, with shortcomings of not addressing the community That's right. early enough and then discovering, all right, now I'm in big trouble. Right. You know, there was, you know, because there, it doesn't take anything for, but just a couple of community members, if not just one, right. to almost completely <clears throat> derail, you know, a hundreds of millions uh, a dollar project. Anyway, so the it's just sort of a poster child story about TerraPower, you know, educating a community and the community, you know, thumbs right. up. Right. Let's 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 do it. You know. Yeah. So, um, oh, there's another point I was going to make. I can't remember what it was. Well, you'll remember it, I'm sure. <laughs> but I just in following that example, like I, f we're going to presume in in your example. I know you're presuming this that everybody that's resisting. Um, and they should resist. I mean, that's one of the great things about America is, hold on, I'm concerned about something. I'm concerned about fill in the blank. 
So long as we can have a transparent and honest conversation, and I'm not resisting for the sake of resisting, I'm resisting any idea because, you know, I don't want the airport to expand over here. I don't want that road to go over there or whatever. We come together as a community, hopefully, to say, how do we, the problem we're trying to solve is this, and we, we've got to be able to clearly articulate the problem that we're trying to solve. And then how do we, how do we work together as human beings in this local or even larger community to solve the, um, the problem for each other? And when we do that and we're honest and transparent, it's been my personal experience that we have much more success, um, not just in whatever that enterprise is, but who, who do you want to work at these facilities? And who, you know, and if I'm a citizen of any of these things, I want to receive the benefit. I don't want you to just come in and consumer. In fact, I don't even want you to come in and consume resources that I don't, that you take from me and you don't give back. That's, you know, that there's certainly examples in any industry where that's happened. But I'm hopeful that more often of us, and the example just gave uh, up in Wyoming, look, let's just face this head on. Here's what we're trying to accomplish. This is how we believe it benefits you specifically. This is how it benefits us um, as well. Here's where, here's where we're going, and let's work through now these things. And at the very least, hopefully they can, you can persuade people. There's a reason why you want to come to a particular community. And if you can, at the very least, if I'm a shareholder, I'm a financial backer of something, I don't want it to get caught up in some morass either now or later. Like if we can't persuade for ourselves or the people around us that this is in all of our best interest, let's go invest somewhere else because there's probably another community that would think of it differently. And that's a way healthier way uh, to approach this. And um, again, it goes back to me, to people, and not everybody that investigates it may come to the conclusion that it sounds like you and I do, which is, wow, there's really value here. Let's do it. Great. Right. Then let's, you know, slow it down or stop it before it ever gets in. And now it's, uh, you know, it's a much more difficult situation. Well, you know, I think you and I talked about this briefly, but um, I don't remember if we did or not. But so it was only a couple, three weeks ago, I saw something in the news about a group of teenagers, I think it was, that was protesting against Greenpeace because of their their position on nuclear power. Mm. I was like, that's the weirdest thing. I I mean... Not just that, right. that they're teenagers right. or whatever it was. Maybe it was students, something like that. And so I went to the Greenpeace site and it was like they have a whole page on their staunch rejection of nuclear energy. Right. It's shocking. And your comments about, you know, what what I find so impressive is people that are, are willing to be open minded enough to listen and have the conversation, ask right. the hard questions, right. assess and then decide all right, you know, things are, 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 are getting a little bit different for me now in looking at that. So I think right. about an organization like Greenpeace and um, this might, this, this might be a bit of a stretch, but you know, an organization is like that is almost like a church, a religious right. organization, right? I have followers, right? And my followers are, are often very devout, right? You know, and they stay. Right. And and so to the extent you have an organization like Greenpeace, which and and <laughs> if you go back to like 2012 or 2014, Greenpeace, in my view, was one of the biggest catalysts to the um, the the evolution of sustainability in the data center industry. In one of their very first reports, uh, how clean is your cloud or how clean is your click? I forget which one it was. 
they started calling out companies, Amazon, Dell, IBM, right. Rackspace, <clears throat> companies like that. And they picked on them hard. And so other news outlets like the New York Times, say, just as an example, would pick up on that. And that's, I think, one of the catalysts that, <clears throat> you know, drove the hyperscalers in particular into action. And that, of course, has, has uh, proliferated uh, throughout the industry to all of our benefit. It, right. it, it's, it's a great thing that that Greenpeace did, even though we're, they're picking on people. Right. Um, but well, the I think contrast... They, were, they would say holding them accountable, right? <clears throat> they would say, here's our idea. Here's what we believe is to be true. You don't have to agree yeah. with it, but this is here's how why here's how we're framing it. And if we agree that this is true, if you think like us that these assessments are true, then here's the cost of that electron. Here's the cost in the total life cycle of the rare earth material, whatever it is, holding us accountable in my industry, any anybody in digital infrastructure, or really any industry. Yeah. I would say for me, maybe instead of a a church, it's almost like, um, I'm going to stretch as well, almost like a jury. And so I've been on a number of juries and the consequence of the, you know, we're looking at the, the outcome of the thing that we're evaluating. One was civil and one was criminal in my personal experience that I actually made it to the jury. Um, in spite of me telling the judge I should be on it because I can spot guilty people just like that. They still, <laughs> they still kept me. But in all, Good seriousness, try. Good try. in all seriousness, I also asked him once if it was a hanging jury and nobody, um, actually I got scared because I think I was in Texas and they said yes. But anyway, <laughs> um, in all seriousness, what I learned was beyond a reasonable doubt to you and to me may not be beyond, maybe a different level of reasonable to members of that jury. In other words, if I'm looking at the evidence and my um, idea of enough evidence to acquit or to convict may be much different than yours. And there are most of the time, I think, a jury of the peers of the accused get it right. And we're not going down a wormhole of justice or whatever, but I just mean that, in my opinion, more often than not, but I have experience where I've looked over at people and said, well, is there any amount of evidence that's enough? And people have looked at me and said, so you'll just say yes to anything or everything, you know? And so it, it, I can appreciate organizations that I think most of the time, in my opinion, I'm not saying whether they're right or wrong, but in my opinion of evaluating, get it right and hold us accountable and they challenge us. I've always loved that about when our political system in the States gets it right, that the ebb and flow of how they work. Some would say they're not working great right now, but but how how that works. I don't I don't have a challenge, generally speaking, when when an organization, whether that is a denomination or whatever it is, a civic organization, say, here's our set of beliefs. This is what we believe to be true. Here's why we we back it up. And they bring that to the marketplace. If they can overcome the marketplace and say, hey, this is the way it is, and we agree as a collective, then we move forward. And if we can't overcome the idea, um, I just want to be held, you know, framed as um, close-minded if the people that we were talking about, let me say it differently, the people that we were talking about before that seem to be embracing energy like this, I don't own any nuclear stock, so far as I know. I'm not a, I have zero dog in this other than I'm trying to solve a number of problems as I think out loud about them. But there are so many people that would not say that they're necessarily any particular energy type, um, like it's the savior. What they would say more is, 
the way that I feel we most ethically solve the problem I'm trying to solve are these things in this order, in this application. And so when you see people that have, you know, what I think riles us up sometimes is um, when people, clo- you know, say no matter what, no matter what, should that thing show up directly in front of me, will I ever change my mind? Because I've just decided. And there are always going to be people like that. Maybe you and I, in some instances, will be like that. But I think it's the, the, opportun- the opportunity for us as citizens to bring the evidence forward beyond a reasonable doubt and if we believe as a community this is beyond a reasonable doubt, we pivot and change. And if we don't, well, then the idea didn't have merit or um, it needs to be explained better. You know, your, your jury analogy was so on the money. Thanks for bring, bringing that up because it, it, it's, it's the, I mean, just sort of thinking about that, you know, person A has a, you know, 80% evidence threshold person b has 105 percent evidence threshold okay so there's different ways of uh of looking at that but but what it what strikes me is that you know one of the things that we haven't really talked about that i think um might be very germane to this conversation is you know mostly we're talking about you know there's people perceptions and and these are some of the things that are going to get in the way uh, of the evolution or where we can cite, you know, right. different kinds of, of, uh, uh, power generation. And so there's, there's, you know, I was essentially saying, I'm surprised that Greenpeace doesn't have more of an interest in green power, you know, mm-hmm. that they're so dead set against it. You know, they this particular some... type of green power, Nuclear. right? That's what you mean. Yeah. This, yeah, 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 yeah. they wouldn't say they're against green power. I don't, I don't want to, I don't mean, oh, right, right. Right. They're, they're like, well, we're, are you kidding me? We're it's in our name. Right. But they, they just mean that the green what what this energy technology claims as green in. I don't want to speak for them. I'm not a member of Greenpeace, right. but it, it would it brings so much baggage with it that it is um, disqualified as a contender in solving these other problems. I don't think they would say the problems aren't real that we've discussed about climate change and sovereignty and affordability and all those other things. I think I, I'm not trying to, I just think that, you know, if we're, if we're honorable uh, people that disagree, which is what we would like to think of ourselves as, I don't want to change what they say. I know some people in this community and they would say, look, I'm all for these things. Don't categorize me like this. I just think that the way, the long, the long-term systemic way to solve that problem is this, and because of what they believe the risks are with this, it, it disqualifies it out of the gate. Now, I don't agree with that. We respectfully disagree. We agree on a lot of other things. We respectfully disagree there. Um, but anyway, so just by... No, good point, because um, I respect Greenpeace an awful lot. I often talk about... I often talk about you know the the origins of of sustainability adoption in in the data center world as a function of Greenpeace. So I have a lot sure. of uh, respect for the organization. Yeah, I know you do. Yep. But where I, where I was kind of going with it though is, is is that you know when we talk about the general population, their perceptions of of nuclear energy <clears> and how that might impact the evolution of of SMRs. You know, one of the things that we don't really know about is is how deeply they understand um, the production of of green energy and mm-hmm. most people talk about renewable energy so i think there's probably a large part of the population like 
guys like you and, and other data center uh, people are so deep in the weeds on this. And I, and, and so I, I, at, at data center world uh, last year, I attended uh, Chris Crosby's uh, presentation on sustainability and uh, Chris Crosby with a, a compass and very Phil Lawson Shanks. Yeah. Phil yeah. Lawson Shanks from uh, aligned, aligned mm -hmm. uh, Ben Stewart from NTT and the, amount of knowledge these guys possess about how you know all the the deep idiosyncrasies of sustainability and how it applies uh, to companies is 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 shocking i mean i don't yeah. study it i don't live the dream like you guys do right? right um but my point is in terms of the general public and i kind of place myself in that in that area uh is that i think many of them don't understand the contrast between maybe that's not the right way to put it but you know the, the implications that nuclear energy has in in terms of solving our, our long-term uh, green power challenge, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, those of us that are in the industry can talk about uh, solar and wind and hydro are primary renewable resources, right? Right. <clears throat> the amount that, that goes into the grid is uh, arguably very small. Uh, the long-term outlook in terms of you know how much of the 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 grid can we power with renewables is arguably in the long term also small it's mm -hmm. they're difficult infrastructure projects so i guess one of the one of the things that a lot of people i don't think understand is that you know they don't look at i mean nuclear technical isn't renewable right right and that's a whole different subject we right. don't want to start talking about. Right. But Well, we just, not on this conversation. We do it another time. Yeah. yeah, but it's truly green. As long as we we don't just decide, I think, let's bring the ideas. And if we find something's working better, we had this, we had a plan as we now deployed for 20 or 30 years, some of these things, or in the case of nuclear, a long time. Have the designs evolved? Is the output what we imagined? Is the consequence to... Uh, migration of animals and the and the seabed and the plains and the desert of the things that we're deploying like let's just let's just evaluate it and if we're doing more harm than good then let's adjust and if we're doing more good than harm let's double down and keep evolving i just i yeah. i feel like if we have that philosophy more often than not um, that's why I so admire some of the actors and some of the personalities and some of the people who I probably don't have a lot in common with in a number of subjects, but they have said, look, I've had to shift my mind from choosing this is the only acceptable way to answer it to mm, that's not giving me there at the speed or at the economics or at the scale that we need to. Right. And this other one may, based upon my life experience and being open to more information um, that is peer-reviewed and contested and whatever. I know it, our head of energy and sustainability, Travis Wright, was a was I don't want to put words in his mouth, but the way I believe it was. I mean, even four years ago, three years ago, intermittent all the way, every day, all the time, and now really is. If we want to get not just as our industry, but as people, to these different things we've talked about, we have to include nuclear energy if not the primary, certainly, uh, you know, a co-participant in the energy mix, or we're just not going to hit any of those big ideas that we want to. Yeah. You know, I can't help myself. I have to make a comment about Here we go. nuclear. I have to make a comment about nuclear waste. 
and and we can fall down the rabbit hole a different time, but I do think that, um, I mean, it's a it's a valid concern, certainly. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think one of the things that once you start even barely following this industry, um, it, it, you you you're shocked at the amount of research, the amount of progress that's being made. So I, you know, for the audience, if I had one bit of advice, if you're curious about this technology, um, go to the American Nuclear Society website. They have a newsletter that comes out daily mm. um, with, you know, what's the news in the nuclear world. And it's just headlines. Mm -hmm. But every few days, something comes across that is really fascinating, mm -hmm. you know. Right. And so it's it's just a way to sort of keep up. And it's a it's a slow, gradual uh, education thing. But I think that one thing that, that that people don't really know is that the amount of research and progress being made in dealing with uh, nuclear power plant, whether it's gigascale power plants or SMRs, you know, dealing with fuel that's at end of life is amazing. So Oklahoma, I mean, I don't have any stock in Oklahoma or anything like right. that. I just, um, they, they seem to be at a very progressive spot compared to many of the other companies in terms of, uh, the, the, the timeline schedule, but they're in, in the midst of on, on top of, you know, their SMR work, um, I, I don't know exactly what they're doing. They've either got a contract or approval from the NRC or something like that. Uh, who's the NRC for the audience? Who's the NRC? Oh, a nuclear regu regulatory commission. Okay. They're in the middle of everything. Right. Uh, but the, the, the point is, is that there's all this, it, it's like, it's a cottage industry within the nuclear world mm. dealing with nuclear waste, right. working groups and research and companies coming up with ways of recycling reusing repurposing uh, uh you know end of life nuclear uh, fuel anyway enough said about that all i'm really pointing right. out is that you'd be surprised at the the amount of effort that's going into that on top of you know just evolving uh, and developing smrs for nuclear power when do you imagine that this will go from the conversations that we're having to um we're, we're going to actually see SMRs showing up either adjacent to, on, or in the, or serving and in a corridor of digital infrastructure. And the second part is let's dive into just a couple of the uh, misconceptions that maybe we haven't talked about yet. So why don't we start with that? What do you think we're going to see more than just sort of you and I, people like you and I having a conversation and it's actually getting funded and deployed? I think there's two sides to that story. One is that, um, you know, when I was talking about, you know, my backstory, when I really didn't know anything about SMRs when I was at, at Data Cloud and the the, the panel was poo-pooing poo it, saying, oh, we're not going to see anything for 10 years. Right. And originally, my opinion was, that's not right. Just look at what's going on. Right. But when I think about it, you know, if we if we look at the ultimate goal being, I need to build a 100 megawatt data center and the best way for me to source power is to uh, install a couple modular uh, SMRs. And at this point, that can be done uh, in a time frame that is not significantly out of whack with my data center development time frame. Now, what that means is that, you know, if I'm a, a, a data center operator like QTS, you know, my time frame for opening a data center from shovel in the ground is usually within 18 months, often mm -hmm. less than 12 months, right? Mm -hmm. 
um, if I'm a meta or Google or something like that, my construction timeframes are more like 24 plus months. Mm -hmm. I don't really understand the difference there exactly. But um, so my point is, is that, you know, the ultimate goal is I need to, I'm QTS, I need to build a hundred megawatt data center out here. And my best source for power is SMRs. That's a ways down the road. Mm -hmm. It's just a ways down the road. Because yeah. one of the things that's got to happen is that there has to be some adoption of the technology um, in a real commercial environment, right? Because, you know, just based on the whole criticality, you know, the, the critical infrastructure nature of data centers, I don't risk, I don't take risks. Right. Not by choice. Right. And so, um, you know, once once things are have begun to roll, you know, right. put it that way, and and we have real data, live examples of commercial exploitation, um, then that'll be more more mainstream. And so, involved with that also is, you know, how long it's going to take us to. Um, it, it'll be the evolution of, of acceptance, like everything else we've been talking about here. Right. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that made. Uh, right. No, you're right. Yeah, sense. that makes sense. But yeah, I mean, to get to that ultimate goal that I need to build a hundred megawatt data center, I'll need two SMRs. I think that's. I mean, given uh, our long-term uh, understanding of technology, technology adoption life cycles. Yeah, we won't be there for a number of years. Yeah, maybe I'm gonna, ten. I'm going to respectfully disagree. Well, maybe we're the same. I think it will be no more than ten. So let's just say yeah. that you're like, well, probably at least ten. I'm no more than ten, and I think probably significantly less. Let me t let me say why. Even though we can't see it now, like I I hear what you're saying. Um, one of the things that I love about the, that I'm learning about SMRs. And hopefully I don't have to come back on here in four or six months and say, forget everything I've said. I've learned the <laughs> hidden truth, and this is a disaster. But I, I'm, uh, I'm really – so many people that I think are either highly credentialed or, I, or are also credentialed that I know really well personally are really bullish in this area. And so it's gotten me really curious, and I'm, I, I will admit that I, my bias is towards there must be something here if these people that I know and trust and respect – either um, indirectly or directly, are really excited. And I don't mean to say that they're uh, frivolous. I just mean to say they're really excited, having been in this discussion for a long time of solving those problems we talked about in the beginning. I just think that combination of things, of benefit to community, protecting protection from costs, serving these other entities that can come in that need this kind of power, I don't need the big right-of-way infrastructure it may. That's why I'm bullish on it. Um, I think it will accelerate beyond what we think uh, the opportunity for them to be deployed. But I'm in a pretty optimistic person, so we'll see well, how I was it gonna goes. Say, <laughs> I was going to say, I mean, the, the picture you painted there is the ideal scenario, right? The opportunity to engage with the community, mm -hmm. the opportunity to, to actually commit to... Um, being a part of that community as opposed to, you know, being a giver as opposed to just being a taker. And right. so that's the ideal scenario for sure. Right. And and that's going to go an awful long way in, to your point, uh, the hopeful hopefulness that um, adoption availability will be more accelerated than my conservative 
you know, outlook. But I said, I said, there's two sides of the story. So right. the first side is, yeah, you know, long term technology right. adoption, life cycles, risk fears, and so on and so forth. Right. The other side of the story is chat GPT. Right. All oh, exactly oh, right. Yeah. Overnight. And not only that, um, you know, we started talking about the rhetoric evolving so quickly on artificial intelligence in, in general. Right. And and chat GPT was a part of that. So when you talk about the hyperscalers, Amazon, Google, Meta and Microsoft in particular, who buy mm -hmm. the um, a, a huge portion of the amount of compute hardware uh, and, and, and whatnot, the 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 rhetoric just went through the roof but the 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 fallout between chat gpt and the hyperscalers all getting into the act that's a long story you don't want to hear about right now mm. but um it, it is that over the course of the last few months the amount of of um announced investment in data centers in support of artificial intelligence assuming that things are going to just uh, skyrocket Right. Um, has been absolutely nuts. I went to our, uh, we have a, a whole AI group of analysts at, at, at Omnia, and I went to the, one of the guys has been doing it for a long time. I was like, is it just me? If I've not been paying, paying attention or, you know, did the pressure build? And then all of a sudden the top mm -hmm. popped off on AI. He goes, it's nuts. We've never seen anything like this. And yeah. so that's the other side of the story is that, you know, things evolve so quickly. Yeah. They evolve so quickly. And so, I, I hope you're, I hope you're right. I hope that, you know, many of these things come true. Um, we're not about to start shuttering data centers because we don't like the amount of power they're consuming. Right. And, and by the way, I would throw in a side note there, you know, I mean, we could come up with a litany of ways that data centers have done good, right? Mm -hmm. The things that they have, how they've changed society, mm -hmm. the number of bank branches that have closed here in the United States alone is in the thousands over of the over the course of the last safe they say five years mm. online bank I, I can't remember the last time I went to a bank branch right so not only are we not traveling to the bank branch they're not building bank branches um, they're not staffing bank bra branches those bank branches aren't consuming electricity right. anyways that was yeah a, that was a different little rant there about you know the data centers aren't going away right you know, they're they're helping evolve um sustainability in 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 ways that save could and amazon is the other perfect example i mean yeah. so many things i'm like it's like i better turn around and order that as opposed to you know going down to home depot or whatever the case i was be. on the plane the other day and i remember two or three things i'm getting ready to take my wife on a, a international trip in a week or so and it and like you i travel a lot and um i'm connected to the wi-fi on my tablet while I'm listening to my AirPods connected to my phone and I just open up my app and I use not just Amazon, I use two or three online retailers, um, the largest in the world, and I ordered um, two or three things that we need and they'll be showing up tomorrow and I'm just, you know, 50,000 feet or not 50,000, 35,000 feet and I'm just and, um, you know, <laughs> taking and care of business, taking care of business, you know, in a where I think AI, this is, I don't know if this, uh, if this is going to connect, it reminds me of the internal combustion engine in this way. There was decades of the potential for automobiles um, 
and people adopt, you know, tried them and they were a novelty and all these other things. And then Mr. Ford brought to the masses an economic, simply understood, simply operated, simply repaired, simple thing, very affordable. And almost overnight, cannot be overstated, whatever else benefit or consequences or whatever, what, what was a trajectory, you know, AIs had these ups and downs and other technologies, these ups and downs and ups and downs until all of a sudden it was easily understood, it was easily accessible to everybody. I had somebody the other day up the street, I don't even know if he knows how his garage door opener works and he's using chat GPT to solve some problems for himself in his particular workspace and he was and it was a beautiful application of it I was like that's a genius way to do he's a I, I think he's in the plumbing business I forget exactly but he's like part of my job is to articulate certain things and I'm not very good at it I know how to solve mechanical issues I don't know how to do this and so he would feed into I actually it might have been Bard I think it was Google Bard I don't think it was Chechi but whatever it was I was using these things and then I needed an image and his friend had shown him how to do this and he created this accurate so not inaccurate accurate really interesting way and I was like my neighbor who's yeah. not even sure I think he's still got a flip phone is using <laughs> like it's so in the same way that the Model T, and then so all of a sudden we're like, oh, everybody wants a Model T. And Mr. Ford's cranking them out of his warehouse. Did we have paved roads? No. Did we have paint on the roads? So you know what, did we have do not enter? Like we had no real infrastructure except for in a few intersections in Chicago or Philly or New York or whatever. But by and large, you were still competing with milk carts and all kinds of other stuff. And we just bought it and drove it and eventually figured out seatbelts and airbags. And heck, we used to smoke on airplanes not too long ago. <laughs> so what I'm saying is this is a kind of disruption in technology for human flourishing that comes with a lot of mess and consequence. And, you know, I to date myself, many a times I slept in the back window of my parents' station wagon as we drove from the middle of America back to California on vacation or whatever. Yeah. Um, nobody knew, you, you know, you'd never, you'd be, 10 people would film that today and you'd be reported to the state police and pulled <laughs> over at the next intersection. But right. in 1970 something, 1960 something, that didn't happen. So that, I just think that these technologies are disrupting in a way back to your AI group. We're not sure what's the impact our industry, what's the impact all around us, positive and negative. We're trying to figure out the regulation, but for sure they consume more power, they consume more things. And if we're going to be part of the modern economy and part of um, keeping our families in an affordable, uh, you know, lifestyle, we're, we're going to have to adapt. Much less all the other altruistic things of I don't want to damage the environment around me. I want to manage these things better. I just think it is a it's it's going to force the adoption of energy resources that have been slow to take or or politically resisted, and I just think it's going to be, uh, my experience tells me, or my intuition tells me that it's going to be, um, it's going to be a game changer, and, and we'll just have to figure out how over the next few years. But I, I think at most it's 10. I think it's probably, it won't be less than four or five, but I think it's going to be significantly less so, no, but we'll you know, see. you got some great analogies in there. You know, I mean, I like the I like the car analogy and in, 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 in particular, but yeah, I mean, I would hope so too. You know, you're the optimist. I'm 
less optimistic. I, Let's just say that. Conserv I'm, I'm conservative. But I think here's uh -huh. one of the important things that kind of lends into that. And that is, is that, you know, and I might have sort of talked about this before, but, you know, there's the companies doing their research, creating their manufacturing process, creating the modularity behind what their product's going to look like. There's the national labs that are helping all that along, supporting the research and this and that and the other thing. Yeah. But we're getting close enough now that the conversation is changing. And I think that's what the GAIN program uh, that Christine yeah. runs. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, I, can't remember, I can't remember what it stands for. That's why they got an acronym. It's I know. It's yeah. it's all about prom promoting yeah. nuclear. But I think one yeah. of the things that's, that's really evolving quickly is the conversation between the labs, uh, the individual organizations, you know, that are deep in the research uh, and the rest of the world. I mean, that's kind of how the conversation with data centers kind of came about was we need to be start um, making friends, endearing the public in these industries that are are that are that are going to be, um, you know, most counting on uh, growth in uh, 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 power generation. So what I'm in summary, it, it's now they're involved. Now they're like, you know what? We're close enough now. We can sign contracts. And so now it's beginning to um, the more conversation is happening uh, between all those research groups instead of being all holed up in their little research worlds and the communities that are going to be the consumers. So that yeah. might be the catalyst or one of the catalysts uh, that helps move this along. I think one of the catalysts you just so it's gateway for accelerated innovation in nuclear. And yeah, I yeah. cannot, I, you know, I've interviewed a lot of academics, a lot of interesting people. And Christine, one of the really cool things about interviewing her, like she is not against any energy source. Like she is very positive. Here's where they fit. Here's how they play. She is such a great advocate for thinking out loud. She doesn't shy away from any of the conversations. She's not adversarial. Like when you have advocates like that for a topic, even the people that really strongly disagree with you respect you. And and part of the reason why I think it will be adopted, not just because of our pocketbooks or some of these other things, but you when you have advocates that bring an idea, she takes a complex idea for a lot of us. She keeps it really simple. And she talks about it, and she doesn't shy away from the difficulties that have to be managed or overcome or whatever. Not just change your mind or persuade. She acknowledges... Uh, Anna Erickson, as I've talked about, and others have come on the show, have the same sort of philosophy. And I admire um, I admire people that can articulate their position in such a whimsical way, in a serious way. It's not like you get used, the deep, it's like, you know, DNA. The d deeper you dive, you find more complexity, right? So you can go as complex as you want with these folks and they can hang with you, but it's really cool. <laughs> so let's talk about misconceptions. We've, we've alluded to a few of them. Um, Tony made this really great point um, in a podcast that you did with him, which was um, one of the concerns, that, and that we should, uh, that people should have is this radiation, you know, radiation is going to get into me. And he sort of walks through, I don't have the numbers memorized, but this is the radiation you get sleeping next to your partner. This is the radiation you get. This is what in my bunk, you know, sleeping for all these years near a nuclear uh, 
plant underneath the polar ice cap, which probably explains some of Tony's um, peculiarities. Um, but, <laughs> yeah. you know, here's what you get on an airplane for every thousand miles. And, you know, what we don't know is we're exposed naturally to so many of these things already all the time. And then when you compare them to the exposures you would get in a facility like this, it just sort of debunks the whole thing. Like it, it uh, fr from the outside looking in, and I don't mind people challenging that assumption. <coughs> excuse me, but um, that that it's a, it's kind of like when I talk to people about their fear of air flight. You know, I'm I'm so afraid of uh, not just the sensation, but that it's not safe. And if you pull up the statistics, you're like, whoa, bro, you are so much more likely to get hurt on a bike, or your yeah. car or you're this Vespa that you love than an air train. You'll get hurt in the parking lot at the airport, but you're probably not, statistically speaking, going to get hurt on the airplane. I hope I didn't just jinx myself there. But it, it's just very unlikely. Do you find that that's a common misconception, and do you agree with any of what I just said, or do you do you have a different point of view? Oh, no, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think that yeah, I, I know Tony's um, ability to... to to talk about you know the kind of radiation you're exposed to just in your 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 daily life and what's kind of shocking is that that doesn't really get out there one of the right. other things that's very similar to that um is uh the death rates uh associated with different kinds of of power generation mm -hmm. and so i can only talk about this visually but there's an organization and i i don't know if we talked about this or not mm -hmm. but there's an organization called Our World in Data. Mm -hmm. uh, they're a nonprofit. They put together some super fascinating um, data about all kinds of things uh, around the world. And there's a particular researcher there named Hannah Ritchie. So Hannah did, um, using data from what sources I'm not really sure, but an analysis of, of how many people die or have died as a result of these different kinds of power generation technology. So at the top, imagine this is the most deaths. Uh, right. and, and the way that the, the chart works is that it's the amount of people that died and how dirty the energy is, right? right? And so at the top, of course, is coal. And mm -hmm. so a lot of people die from coal based on ingesting- uh, Every way, every way every that they way. do, right. And, and the way that it, it works is you get down to solar and then wind, and believe it or not, nuclear is safer and cleaner than even solar and wind, and and I my I, my might be off on the, the clean versus right uh, thing a little bit, but the point is is that you know it's like this is such I mean people that are set in their thinking you know they're not going to change I'm not mm -hmm. no nah, right. never right. nuclear right. never nuclear never right um, but you know for those people that are looking for an education this is the kind of data points. And the same thing that like what Tony was talking about, you know, here's how much radiation you get going to the grocery store or right. whatever the, the case might be. But that our world and data thing uh, is is really fascinating. I have to check well, it out. It's out there. It's you know, the, the information is kind of out there, but it's not. It it, it, it just doesn't get to the masses. Right. I mean, if, if you just watch a particular news channel, you just get what. It, yeah. Right. Well, in, in our feeds and, you know, in, until you had said something, I want to know. I mean, if there's one thing that we're inundated with now, it's information, whether it's accurate or not, right? It's Or data. Right. I don't even know if it's information. It's certainly data. But that, that radiation exposure is one. 
the cost. There's this imagination about cost and complexity, and I hate, again, not as a nuclear energy, to say an SMR in particular isn't complex, but it's a factory built, all things considered, not terribly complex, very affordable, um, very affordable to the consumers of it, uh, energy source that is self-contained. You don't have to go continents away to get it. It's self-contained in your um, region. And, you know, that's one of the misconceptions that I heard. Oh, it's wildly complex. I need specialized, all these other things. The, the safety concern is, and it's very expensive. And come to find out, not SMRs. They're not these unique one-offs. They are modular homes built in a... I have a, a friend, not to... I don't mean manufactured home, I mean modular home. And he pointed this out to me once upon a time. He said, you know, you could order, I think he lives in Maine, and they're a modular homemaker. And he said, I could make a home that is Hurricane Cat 5 proof. It is, he would argue, you, you, it's assembled, it's built in the warehouse, it's assembled on site. So you get the pad ready and it shows up and it snaps together and it will have more integrity Study after study after study. This is his words. I don't know. I'm not in that business. But when you bolt it together, it will have more integrity than almost any other stick-built home that's being, even if it's on a drawing, it's being assembled there or whatever. Mine's already done here. It's been tested a hundred different ways from Sunday, whether it's for snow loads or what, whatever it is, these environmental conditions. And when it gets there, not only is it erected quickly, but it's so um, tightly put together to... Um, um, you know, with very little margin, very little flexibility, just clicks right together because it's so well designed. And then it's iterated, as we talked about in the beginning. If we find something that needs to be adjusted from the field, we go back to the original digital twin and fix it in the factory so that the future ones come out and we can retrofit the existing, we improve the new and upcoming, that it makes them, um, you know, a very repeatable, deployable process, and you can make, make them as resilient or lack of resilient as you want, depending upon your environmental and seismic and whatever. I'm not saying this is the exact same thing, but it feels like it's a parallel analogy. I can make these things in a controlled environment. I can deploy them in a modular way. They hit my speed, my scale, my economics, and I can do it with such a tight tolerance level and then iterate on future designs. I can take what I learn here and employ it so that as I deploy it in different states and in different geographic locations, or as they're doing in Europe in different footprints where they are very space contain, uh, constrained, I, I keep looking for a really great rebuttal of somebody that leaves me going saying, hmm, I, I see their point. I've, I haven't had it overcome yet. It doesn't mean it doesn't exist. I just haven't run into it yet. That's true. And you gotta imagine that companies that are working on a technology like this would be using everything at their disposal in, in terms of manufacturing, design and process, um, design and processes uh, that are that are best practices. I don't think the NRS, the Nuclear Regu Regulatory Commission would have it any other way. I mean, that's one of the reasons that the approval process, I think, has been, you know, taken quite a bit of time is that they don't mess around they're right. they're it's, it's it's not like your local building inspector who because you gave him a cheeseburger he's not gonna you know worry about the power box you put out there uh or something um 
But you know, the other thing too, um, I mean, just, just besides that. Right. So I, I think you're right about that in, in terms of, you know, the, the, the way this is coming together and, and considering the oversight from the NRC, um, I would, I, I, I would find it difficult to feel like, oh, you know, we're not, we're not doing enough to make sure that we're doing it right. And, yeah. and one other thing I was just throw out there, cause we're super over time, I think, <laughs> yeah. but, um, is that, you know, one of the things that's going to have to evolve for the adoption of SMRs is essentially, you know, how these things are, are financed, who's going to own them, who's going to participate, who's going to make this, you know, easier for all this to happen. And so there's a lot of evolution to go on there. Right. But one of the things I think that's kind of key is that, uh, so Oklo, again, who is uh, closer than anybody except maybe, I can't, maybe New Scale mm-hmm. and, and Oklo are, are, uh, are, are within reach mm-hmm. right but the Oklo's pitch is that look you don't you're not going to be operating uh, a nuclear power plant a nuclear right. smr we're going to build we're going to we're going to site it we're going to permit it we're going to construct it we're going to install it we're going to operate it mm-hmm. and what it's going to make it work for you is that you're going to sign a power purchase agreement that's it you're that's just right. buying power that's right and so I mean, their approach, and I, I would assume that, you know, the whole industry will evolve in some sort of way that makes it A, easier for everybody, B, economical for the consumers, but C, also profitable uh, for those people that are doing it. Of Anyways, course. it, it yeah. could go in different directions, but it, yeah. it, I, I think that's a uh, interesting way of encouraging the consuming population that, look, it doesn't get any easier than this. Right. You know? Yep, I agree. Here's the benefit to you. Um, you just need to invest, and it will take industry like ours and other industry to come in, and and um, just like we have with other energy sources, and and get those uh, power purchase agreements up front to fund the not only the the deployment and the initial investment, but you've got a customer, a base load steady customer for the next decades, um, and a community that can benefit. I, I just it seems, it seems like a logical progression, and that's why I'm pretty bullish on it. And we'll see, uh, we'll see if that manifests itself. Um, we'll talk before then, but for sure, I'm going to put a note on my calendar that ten years from now, you and I will revisit and see who's, who's closer. I'm still <laughs> Man, if I'm above ground, I'll call that plus one, and if I'm still working and enjoying it, that's plus two. That'll be a right. good thing. Well, Alan, thanks for coming on the uh, program today. I really appreciate it. I and mean, there's so many other things we could talk about, but we'll just do that next time. And uh, I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. It was a great conversation, a, a great deal of fun. It's good talking to you, Dave. I look forward to it. And and there's other things we've got uh, in the future to talk about around sustainability and some other things. We'll, we'll say that for next time. And hey, look, if you enjoyed the show, um, like it. And if you loved it, subscribe. We'll see you next time, everybody. Have a good one.